So there's this line, fearing not that I'd become my enemy in the instant that I preach. That's from a Bob Dylan song, uh, My Back Pages. I heard the line first at age 13, and it made sense to me then. I don't know why, and it, it does now at 50, 50 years later, and now I do know why. I got the line wrong initially, as I remembered it. It is preach, not speak. I first wrote speak because it is it fit my mood at this moment. And it helps anyway, because all I might do is speak. It is the hearer that turns it into preaching, into preach. And preaching is intentional, whether or not the hero, hearer is preached at, I am not doing that because I have no intent. But once it's out, depending on how well it's said, we do become our enemy. And the, the fellow who wrote that line in that song at a young age knew what he meant. And he was made his own enemy. And he was, I was, so much older than I'm younger than that now. And some of us, not I, asked why. Perhaps he knew he'd be stuck becoming his own enemy, objectified by it, to become a block-like thing when one should be flowing like water, to be ice. That is where the speaking, not the preaching, I am being more sensitive than Mr. Bob Dylan, comes from usually. It flows through you or he or she or them or it. So all these speakings are only suggestions. They don't define me. I'm not preaching. I'm not telling you that I, that I know something. It doesn't define me, the speaker, or you, the hearer. I ain't looking to do any of that. I am just talking. That would be what I believe. It is not solid. It is being in the way of, likely to be bumped into by certain notions. It has no intention. Therefore, it is not preaching. It's just babble. I wonder if this is a poetry thing. It took me by storm at 13. What a relief at 13, where we all know much is taken, though much abides. Where others went to school, I went into the wilderness, not school at all. There was no captain of my bark, so I climbed the mast and watched. Catastrophe below, and the distance forever in front, glittering like a blade of steel as far as the eye could see, making sure I'd become not my enemy, while many others became theirs and left the garden bent on riches and a reassuring love that they have left behind, childish or they have left themselves in the garden. Bravo. Is the only useful King Lear, for instance, a comedy? A standard farce idea. The old king engages with his family in his stupid, vain way, then asks the fool, what do you think? How did I do? The fool says, oh, uncle, you really blew it that time. The first time he asks the fool, he asks him in public to make a show. Then, as the play goes on, more and more privately as he begins to worry and repeats the cycle, 
as we all might blunder through life, hurting other people and being hurt, if only we all had a fool, a psychiatrist, to ask, how do you think that went? And then the courage to hear the truth. There are other things in Lear, but even the other things are somehow engaged in, how did I do? And Edmund brags like the American dreamer. And it is racy stuff. What else do... Uh, suburban yuppies do, but like Oswald and Regan, plot to gouge out eyes of an old man when swinging fails to excite. You've got to ask that question. Who are these miserable royals plotting and envying? And then the thinkers speak, the decaying king, the decaying state. Well, no. Everyone else is born to refute the excellent foppery, the infant in the infant dependence. Only Cordelia does not deal. Only she leaves the table. Did Shakespeare himself fear he'd become his enemy in the instant that he wrote Lear or any of the plays to which we attach so much, speculate so much, and pass it on to the gobsmacked getter of good grades? Do we think he is preaching? I think we think so. I don't think he was preaching. My take is he had some older stories and his thrill was to examine what Romeo felt in that story. I think that solves the mystery of his identity or the non-mystery. He did not wish to be his own enemy. He did not want to be held responsible for the natural bunk others would attach to his work. He was going too fast and had to let Othello go to get busy on something Roman. Or we'll never know. It is the desire of our time to know, though. We want to know, not to do, to experience. We think knowing is doing. We pay the knower's top dollar to know what we don't because we lost the habit and the skill and the banishment it all entails. We see the punishment coming that Edmund didn't. I could write a story about a mailman doing his rounds, maybe having an affair with a wife who collects the mail, and a scholar might say, here the writer engages with the power of the state and its conflict with the individual. And they'd be right. Might be. But it was not my intention. Intention is the preaching element that you assume to get the writer's drift. The connection is collateral and no fault of the writers unless they want to claim it, then they have to carry the burden of intention, expertise, and it only happened by accident, or the imagination of the audience. Behold the imagination of the audience, of you or I, the grandest of forces in the universe. My former speeches have but hit your thoughts, which can interpret further. Only I say, I just give you a hint, the rest is yours. That is the only responsibility of the poet, actor, singer. You might decide my prov provocations are inappropriate. George Bernard Shaw thought so too with King Lear, but that is not my fault. That is your own dirty mind, George. Long may you enjoy it. And then, of course, GBS preached. GBS preached. He had intention. I do love it. St. John, etc., but it isn't the wild thing of Shakespeare that we all seem to need so much. Shaw was a eugenicist. That is indeed intention. He might have neutered the rude mechanicals. But is your thoughts now must deck our kings. Your thoughts, no, really, think 
when we talk of horses that you see them printing their proud hooves in the receiving earth. Oh, well said. But do you see them? It is my job only that you see the hooves. The rest is all yours. Don't think of me or any writer. See the hooves and the kings, or we have failed. Or it is not I that do this, it is you. If you'd allowed that, I need not fear my enemy self. Well, I'm now stuck in this roll around. I had no intention, but since I mentioned it to myself by remembering the line from my back pages that has stuck in my head all day and for 50 years, it has a kind of aptness to bothersome tropes that bother me always as I make the rounds. Who teaches, preaches, speaks with intention, tries to persuade who indeed and why? And what a bloody assumption. Fifteen years ago, I was on a TV show where much fuss was made of me. I was elegantly dressed like a million bucks, like the gangster I was playing again. Anyway, I came to shoot a scene. The room was full, and they all turned to me as they had just seen the rushes, uncut scenes, and were suddenly impressed. They were being very nice. They had been very nice before, polite, politic, etc., like they are on movies, but this was different. As though, as Albert Finney would say, well, I knew the lines. I suddenly thought, this is what it is like. This is success. It wasn't or it was, but suddenly I wanted an empty room. True story. I love my work. I love every piece of it. And this was not it. This was real, but it was an appreciation I didn't care for. The work is its own reward that has much to do with solitude and not the fuss and the perks. And to be good, one needed, one needs to flee. I fail to convince, I am sure, and I am not difficult. I just like some peace, and it is allowed, it is allowed. And I was working in that scene with a very classy actor who knew about these things too. So I thought of my teacher friend, how much of that teaching might be performance? And is he concerned about the opinion of his audience? He was concerned whether he had made his mark had done good things. My terrible confession is that has never crossed my mind. It is not meant to, I think. It is a job I do. I assume I do it well because I have done it a long time, but mostly because one feels it. It is, a, it is public and it is private at once. Is teaching all public? Is one, is one that exposed? I expect teachers are not like actors entirely, but this I do know. I can't teach and therefore consider them entirely brave and sometimes also not a little vain. That is the bloody assumption. And I fear here that claims of democracy, the easy flippant Ali Velshi version, needs questioning. When we had kings, we were still alive. I don't like kings, but many of us do. Absolute monarchy is religious for many of us. Democracy accepted reluctantly, a sop to the masses. And since America expressed massive authoritarian tendencies in the late 20 teens, I'd suggest our democracy has failed to persuade, which is exactly democracy's job.
to persuade. The apparent conflict where we even question sanctioning a criminal if he is running for office is a tad ludicrous, monarchic. That's what they say about Donald Trump. If he runs for president, they can't bust him. Who came up with that idea? Then worrying Trump might win, then start pardoning people. Well, amend the con, dears. Yes, question the Bible. That really is your enemy. The authoritarianism of China, etc., is not a genetic defect. It is a choice. In a way, it is, in fact, a democratic choice. Our theocracies make the same choice. Islam seems to favor it. I don't. But it doesn't follow that 70% of humanity is less than I, therefore. And that is the bloody presumption. 